Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to researcher and sports scientist, Tim Suckermel. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Vald Performance, the team behind the Nordboard hamstring testing system. So the Nordboard is the fastest and easiest and most accurate way to measure hamstring strength in under 90 seconds. So the Nordboard gives the right information so you can make the right decisions for your players at the right time. So it's already in use by over half the Premier League uh, and dozens of other elite teams around the world. Uh, so the Nordboard testing system is the is on its way to becoming the gold standard for measuring and monitoring hamstring strength. So if you are interested in getting to know anything more about the Nordboard, you can visit Vald Performance, that's V-A-L-D performance.com to find out more. Welcome to episode 91 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So today we've got Tim Suckermel, who is going to discuss everything Olympic weightlifting. So we've never really had anyone on the podcast yet who kind of has a background like Tim uh, in, in research specifically targeted at Olympic lifting and their derivatives. So it was great to get Tim on uh, and get a real in-depth insight into, into Olympic lifting, um, where them derivatives uh, can fit in in the annual plan. Uh, also cluster sets and training the Olympic lifts uh, for for speed and acceleration, which was uh, which is a really interesting one. Hopefully this episode will cause a little bit of discussion. Obviously there's kind of polar views on, on the Olympic lifts being used for uh, developing speed and acceleration. So if you do have any points uh, on the episode itself, um, just post them below the tweet uh, that I put out to, uh, to let everyone know this, this, this uh, podcast has gone live. But just before I let you go, I'm just going to pass you over to Doug at Coach Me Plus, who's going to give us a couple of minute segment on the use of uh, the use of heart rate monitoring in sport. So massive thanks to Coach Me Plus for sponsoring the podcast today. And after Doug's segment, we will get in straight into the chat with Tim Suckermel. I'm going to make a case for heart rate analysis. Every sports performance coach, strength coach, has at one time or another got a question from their their head coach, you know, what kind of shape is this guy in? And, you know, already they probably formed an opinion. They have decided, you know, just by virtue of asking that question, you know, is this guy in shape? They're saying they don't think he is. And I think the most important thing with regard to this is that you have to have an answer to that question that provides him with some... Uh, a good feeling about how you came to the conclusion that he is or isn't. And and the way you do that is through heart rate analysis. You know, I'm going to make a case for somebody to have a heart rate monitor on their athletes on a daily basis so that they can actually learn that athlete's peak training heart rate and competitive uh, values that you would see. You'll, you'd also easily recognize their recovery values, the percent of recovery from bouts of work. As an example, uh, you know, a football player on a eight-play drive, you've got, you know, stops and starts. You've got uh, whistles in the performance, um, but you also have a work 
and recovery value. In hockey, um, you'd have the same thing going on. You've got a shift which requires, you know, 45, 50, 60 seconds of work, and then you have, you know, recovery values. And if you know, you know, what the level of intensity that this guy's working at, is it 90 to 100% of his peak heart rate, or as we like to refer to it, as his um, peak skating heart rate or his peak, you know, uh, in-play heart rate. Um, and you know those values, um, and he's there for, you know, 30 seconds, 40 seconds, 60 seconds, and then he gets one to two minutes recovery, and he's got a drop-off value that represents that, you know, he's really in very good physical shape, particularly if you look at it from the standpoint of the first bout of work or the first um, play in football or the first shift. And then, you know, in a typical hockey game, as an example, you know, they'll have as many as 20, 22, 23 shifts. But in a period, they may have as many as seven shifts. And in that period, there's going to be fatigue. And what what you're looking at from first shift to the seventh or eighth shift, um, how well does he recover? Having heart rate monitors allows you to see that percent recovery. And if you can have those values to actually show coaches, yeah, this guy's in shape, or perhaps he's not. How are we going to work on his level of fitness from there? Right, really pleased tonight or this afternoon in Tim's case to welcome Tim Suckermel to the podcast today. So welcome to the podcast, Tim. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate you taking the time and having me on. I did all right with the surname, didn't I? I got it. You did. You did. Nailed it. You know, a lot better than a lot of other people, I'll tell you. (laughs) So anyone that doesn't know anything about you, uh, just want to give us a little bit of an intro uh, on yourself, really, what you what you're currently doing, and maybe what you've uh, what you've done in the past. Oh, sure. Uh, I'm just finished up a PhD this last year at uh, East Tennessee State in uh, sport physiology and performance under Dr. Mike Stone, uh, Dr. Brad Deweese, and uh, Dr. Kimi Sato. Uh, currently, um, I'm working as an assistant professor at East Stroudsburg University in Pennsylvania which for those listeners don't know where that is, it's in the northeast part of the United States. Um, prior to that, I did my both my undergraduate work and graduate work, uh, master's degree in Wisconsin, uh, which is the accent you probably hear. Lots of long O's and A's. Um, <laughs> But other than that, uh, that's you know that's the my background there. You know, I uh, well during a doctoral student, I was uh, also functioning as a strength coach and sports scientist for the baseball team, and also worked within the Olympic training site for um, for weightlifting at East Tennessee State. Mm-hmm. So your link with Sophia Nymphius, I forgot to ask this off air. Where, where's that? Where's that link come from? Well, uh, link with Sophia was uh, a lot of just knowing through people. Um, so Dr. Mike Stone had also worked at uh, Appalachian State with Jeff McBride. And uh, honestly, I met her through Twitter conversations and eventually at uh, uh, the NSCA National Conference, uh, where we finally had a chance to meet face to face and, um, you know, just kind of <laughs> built since there. Mm-hmm. The uh, the beginning of all relationships on Twitter, isn't it? Uh, it seems to be a lot because yeah. you know I uh, same story with uh, Jason Lake and uh, Paul Comfort is the same story. You end up meeting them face to face after a while in one place, and 
you know, now we're all doing collaborations. It yeah. works out well. Absolutely. So pe people know you for your interest in weightlifting. So where did, where did that start? Well, uh, being, you know, um, like most people in our field, I started as a, as an athlete. Um, my background was pretty much in baseball and, um, did some running here on the side, but being a baseball player, always interested in, um, different ways of training and improving our performance. I mean, I was never the, the biggest guy or the best guy. So I was trying to find the best ways to perform. Um, and eventually when I ended up getting to grad school, uh, I worked under Dr. Glenn Wright and we discussed a project of looking at weightlifting catching movements uh, and weightlifting pulling derivatives. So those that excluded the catch and the interest came there in that we ended up finding, you know, uh, potential superior training effects with pulling derivatives. So it kind of blossomed from there. And uh, having worked now with uh, Brad DeWeese and Mike Stone, it's kind of grown and uh, continued to be interested in the area where now we're doing more research when it comes to time normalization of these um, of these different movements to see if you know we can create greater impulses, rate of force development, etc. Um, but honestly, it really comes from trying to find the best method to train our athletes. Since people really love to implement the weightlifting movements, you know, we want to know if it's if we need to be catching all the time or if we should be incorporating more of the pulling movements. Mm -hmm. So that brings me nicely onto the um, onto the next point, which is you, you've spoken. I mean, we spoke off air about kind of times when you would incorporate just pulling derivatives uh, in yep. the kind of annual plan uh, of the catching derivatives. Do you just want to talk to us a little bit about, firstly, why you do that? I mean, you've touched, touched on it slightly there, but why you do that and maybe what kind of individuals or sports or training phases that would be most appropriate for? Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's a, there's a number of benefits to uh, simply just using uh, pulling derivatives uh, that many people may not even consider because, you know, it's one of the tradition-based things that we're just going to continue to use things that, we've, that other people have done in the past, such as catching. But one of the things being that the weightlifting pulling derivatives are very, they're less technically demanding when it comes to the technique because... I'm sure a lot of coaches can attest that some of their athletes really have some a difficult time learning how to catch properly, whether it's the snatch or whether it's the clean. Um, depending on who you read, there's a dissertation by Potts that talks about two weeks for an efficient uh, catch phase, but then there was a recent article this last year by Hogg um, that talked about four weeks of learning um, a proper catch phase, basically. and. That's just one of the many benefits um, when it comes to a derivative, uh, a pulling derivative. But the other thing to consider is um, we know that there's going to be a low injury rate when it comes to weightlifting movements, but you also have to consider the stress that you're putting on the joints in relation to how many, how many reps you're performing. For example, it's, it may not necessarily be uh, appropriate to implement a, you know, a power clean for 10 reps in a row. You know, it's just a lot of stress on the shoulder, the wrist, the elbow. Not to say that you wouldn't be able to do it, but compared to a pulling derivative where you just complete the second pull at the end, you may actually end up with a more neutral 
uh, neutral shoulder that's just going up and down. Your wrists aren't flexing forward or backward, and your elbows, for the most part, are locked uh, until the continuation of the second pull. Um, but one of the biggest benefits is actually the ability to overload them, uh, overload the triple extension, that is, um, because with some of the derivatives, you may actually be able to use loads in excess of a 1RM clean or a 1RM snatch. Uh, for example, you may take the clean pull from the floor or a snatch pull from the floor, from the mid-thigh. All of these movements due to the decreased range of motion and the elimination of the catch phase may actually allow you to use loads in excess up to possibly 140% is what uh, Paul Comfort's group looked at in some research. But the potential adaptations to this may look at greater force production, rate of force production, but also the range and uh, of power over or across the entire power curve. So um, that's obviously half of the question, but the uh, the other half of the question, when it comes to implementing them in a um, resistance training program, one of the things that we can consider is actually we can use them throughout the training year as long as we are using them to fit the goals of each of the training phases. So we often use, I say we, um, those that I have worked with, we use a um, the phases set up uh, a phase potentiation model. Um, this coming from Minetti Zampiro and some work from Stone, Deweese. But um, we're looking at how the previous phase is going to enhance a subsequent phase. For example, we talk about the strength endurance phase building work capacity and work capacity and um, uh, cross-sectional area, but how this is going to increase our ability to gain muscular strength, but then the ability to gain muscular power and rate of force development beyond that. So when it comes to certain phases, if you think about a strength endurance phase, there's, an, there's several different ways that you can do this. So strength endurance phases are typically associated with a higher volume of repetitions. You know, we're trying to increase the work capacity, cross-sectional area of the athlete. So typically you think about reps of 10 or so. Um, there's a couple different ways that we've looked at doing this. Um, one way is that you can actually use uh, what's called a clean pull to the knee. Um, that there's a couple technique articles out there, a clean pull to the knee where you're primarily working on that first pull, you know, from the floor to the knee. But what this is going to allow you to do is engage that posterior chain musculature, you know, the glutes, the hamstrings. But what this is also going to do is actually help you with your technique in subsequent phases. So overloading that movement, um, down the line. But another way that you could do it is also use, um, clean pulls or snatch pulls from the floor. Now, they don't want anyone to freak out yet because it's, <laughs> it's a lot of work, obviously, to go from the floor to the mid-thigh and then complete a pull. However, um, some really recent work by, uh, by Hoff and a couple of his students have looked at some high-volume repetitions with relation to cluster sets. And what, and what we know cluster sets are going to allow us to do are maintain that force production and maintain that technique over the course of multiple sets. So what this will also allow you to do is maintain that overload, but also um, will allow the coach to offer some feedback throughout the set. So if you think about doing sets of 10, 
you may be doing clusters of two repetitions or five repetitions dependent on how tech uh, how technically advanced the athlete is so so tim where would you place i mean you mentioned cluster sets there would there be a specific time in the year that you would use them um to get to get maximum benefit so I, you know, when it comes to the cluster sets, I'm thinking that the best place and what the research seems to uh, agree with is looking at high volume repetition. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking at an athlete that has a sport, um, whether it's late, uh, if they, you know, if their off season starts in the summer, but as they progress, they have a f- um, a fall sport or even a winter sport, it's going to be earlier on. Not to say that you can't use cluster sets with a lower volume of repetitions, but technique really isn't going to break down nearly as much as they would with a higher volume of repetitions. Mm-hmm. So from what you've said, with regards, especially with regards to the amount of time it's going to take to, to teach the, the full clean or the full snatch, why, if you, unless you're a weightlifter, why wouldn't you just do the pulls and just forget about the catch completely? <laughs> That's a really good question. <laughs> and it's one that I, that I often discuss with a number of other people. Um, you know, it's one of the things that uh, no one can debate that the most specific sport that, that, that a catch phase is going to be specific to is the sport of weightlifting. Now, does that mean that only weightlifters should only catch? Uh, no, not necessarily. I am a proponent of using both a combination of poles and catch phases or and the and catching movements. So, but I will say that there's probably a time and a place to catch in the sense that the reps are probably going to be lower and you know if we really want that deceleration speed to drop under the bar, uh that may be specific to a certain phase as well. So, it's not to say athletes shouldn't be catching. It is they have to be doing it at the right time of the year. Mm-hmm. But it's also to say that what we have seen in our research, whether it's comfort research, the research that we've done as well, um, what we're seeing is that the benefit may actually be, or sorry, the benefits are going to be similar between pulling movements and catching movements, whether it's during the second pull or actually following the second pull during the load acceptance phase. Mm-hmm. So is that, right, I suppose you just answered my question. I was going to say, is, is that load acceptance missed without the without the catch? But you obviously said potentially not. It's actually not. Okay. Um, we have a we have a couple papers in review right now, so um, um, so we're anxiously waiting to hear back about those. But a um, couple papers that myself, Paul Comfort, and Jason Lake have put together, where we looked at following the second pull, as in you know that whether there's a short flight phase or afterwards, where we looked at the center of mass of, um, of the system, basically, looking at the mean force production, the loading duration, but also the work completed. And what we found is that weightlifting pulling derivatives either produce a similar or greater um, load acceptance demand, if you will. Um, so, to those who commonly think that a catch phase is going to, you know, help you absorb the load, you know, decelerate, they are correct. However, you can achieve, it appears you can achieve a similar stimulus with weightlifting pulling derivatives. Mm-hmm. 
Interesting. So when obviously you haven't got the um, the remarks back yet about the, the paper, but when when is that hoping to be to be published? <laughs> uh, you may have to ask the reviewers on that one, okay. but uh, we'll see. <laughs> okay. Okay. Cool. Um, so I just want to move on a little bit uh, and just talk about again something that kind of we discussed beforehand and, and previously, um, and the, the force velocity curve. Yeah. Firstly, I'm going to totally dumb it down and just ask you to firstly explain what I meant or someone else may mean by the force velocity curve. All right, yeah. So force velocity curve or the power curve, if you will, um, is going to be made up of obviously two components. The product of force and velocity is power. So we can achieve a certain power output not, I'm going to steal this from Dr. Stone right now, but <laughs> as you would emphasize in class, you can, em you can have force times velocity, force times velocity, or force times velocity. So <laughs> it's, you know, it, it, may, it may sound a, bit, a little strange, but, you know, the emphasis on the exercise is going to determine what end of that curve that so ultimately what our goal is to by training different ends of both ends we shouldn't just train one uh, training both ends of the curve will shift this curve up and to the right meaning we are enhancing our velocity we're enhancing our force production and by that we are enhancing the power output and rate of force development Mm -hmm. So going back, trying to link the two, um, the kind of two points that you've made already. Where would the, firstly, where would the, um, the full clean or the full snatch? Uh, obviously, that's two, two completely separate things. Fit on the force velocity curve compared to the, the catching. Uh, sorry, the, just the pulling derivatives that you've mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we actually created a graphic, a, a smaller version of this graphic. We not to self promote, but it's on, <laughs> it's on, uh, it's a pinned tweet on my Twitter right now. Um, but if you want to know where some of these fall theoretically, the power clean and snatch is actually going to fall pretty much right in the middle of the curve. It is going to be a high velocity movement that we can use a moderate to um, higher amount of weight. However, when it comes to pulling derivatives, we have a clean and snatch pull from the floor further towards the force and then you know clean and snatch pull from the knee, counter movement shrug, and then mid-thigh pull all the way down on the highest end of the force curve or the force side. So the reason for that is that we have a smaller amount of displacement and an elimination of a catch phase, which will allow us to use greater loads. Greater loads are then going to increase the force production with the system. So moving away on the other side, we actually have the mid-thigh clean or the sorry, uh, the clean and snatch from the knee, the mid-thigh clean and snatch, the hang high pull and the jump shrug going up on the velocity side. So and we actually have research to support the notion that a jump shrug and hang high pull is actually going to produce a greater velocity and power for that point. Um, than a hang power clean. So it's kind of interesting how a power clean and snatch is going to pretty much fall right in the middle where we have pulling derivatives on either side. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to when it comes to alternatives to the to the Olympic lifts, 
what are the I, I don't know um probably phrasing this horribly but when it comes to alternatives to the olympic lifting derivatives mm-hmm. what kind of exercises are, are substituted for someone in a maybe a, a team sport setting that's never maybe got the, not got the time to or the facility to be able to to perform the olympic lifts Oh, okay. I think I, I think I get what Sorry, you're saying. Sorry, that's that's a phrase horrendously. So, what what would be the um, so say that the the force end of the curve? What would be an alternative to an Olympic lift or an Olympic lifting derivative? Um, if said spot S and C coach didn't have the facility or the time to uh, be able to teach his athletes the Olympic lifts. Oh, okay. So you're talking about with with or without a barbell or with a barbell? Um. Both, both may, yeah. Okay. Well, if they if they have access to a barbell and they may not be able to learn the entire lifts, you have to kind of start where the lift is most important. Yeah. So the most important aspect of the or the most important um, part of the Olympic lifts is going to be the second pull. I don't think that would be debated because that's where the greatest force production is going to take place, the greatest uh, power is going to take place, rate of force development. Um, so we would typically start with a mid-thigh pull. So once you get used to doing that mid-thigh pull, it's pretty much a concentric action at the time. So what we end up moving to from there is we may do a counter-movement shrug, which is very similar to a mid-thigh pull, just with a little dip prior to. You drop down into the mid-thigh position and then extend out of it. But you may also start moving down towards the floor. What I mean by that is you go from the mid-thigh, you move down to the knee, maybe do a pull from the knee and then you move down to the floor where you're doing a pull to the knee and then a pull to mid-thigh, mid-thigh pull, or if you incorporate incorporate all of that together, a clean or a snatch pull from the floor. Mm-hmm. But in addition, if you want to have more of the ballistic sense um, or higher ballistic, they're all ballistic, mm-hmm. uh, you may have a jump shrug on the other side or a, high, or a hang high pull. So a jump shrug I can tell you, I taught, having done research on this exercise, these uh, whoever you have, you can pretty much teach it to them in one day. It's very simple. You have a counter movement down to the knee, back to the mid thigh, and they are jumping as high as they can. I mean, how simple is it really to ask someone, "Here's a barbell. I want you to jump as high as you can." <laughs> I mean, if you think simple. about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's very simple. Yeah. So it's. You know, something that we can incorporate with athletes that may not necessarily always be considered, but it's, uh, you know, as an alternative, but also note that it, is, it produces high velocities and high power outputs. Mm-hmm. So there's, pe- there's people you see online, I'm just mentioning Twitter, it's horrendous to keep mentioning Twitter, and, but it seems to be a, um, a thing that I see a lot of people almost trying really hard to think of other ways to hit what Olympic lift may hit without doing the Olympic lift. Why do you why do you think that you kind of you're an Olympic lifting guy or a non-Olympic lifting guy? It's people are very much um trying to put themselves on one side of the argument when well, is there an argument to be had? Well, I mean the the fact of the matter is and you know Let's put it this way. There are, I I use this term or use this phrase often. I'm sure you've probably heard it before is there's a lot of ways to skin a cat. Yeah. Yeah. But as long as it gets skinned. (laughs) So the fact of the matter is, is we can use 
plyometrics to enhance uh, power development, rate of force development. We can use sprinting. We can use, you know, some people are using CrossFit. There's medicine balls. There's a plethora of all these methods. But the fact of the matter is, is it all comes down to what we're training. We're training triple extension, lower body, you know, lower body explosiveness. And what research has shown time and time again is that weightlifting movements seem to produce, and there is research on this, um, produce greater effects when it comes to lower body power development compared to powerlifting, compared to jumping training, and compared to kettlebell training. So being an evidence-based guy, I'm going to follow the trend and continue to uh, you know, follow the research basically. And what it seems to be over and over again is that weightlifting movements are just going to produce those greater effects. And it's for a number of reasons. But the fact of the matter is, you can overload that triple extension during a weightlifting movement. You're not going to do a depth jump with 100 kilos. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one example. But if yeah. you think about it, you're not going to do a depth jump with 100 kilos. Yeah. But again, you're not going to be throwing a medicine ball with 100 kilos. Mm-hmm. So these are just a couple of exa- maybe extreme examples. Yeah, absolutely. You know. <laughs> yeah. No, that's all good, mate. So – just one thing that you, you mentioned there again, which was which was speed development, which I'd like for you to touch on, if you would, and just how the how all what you've mentioned um, translates to, to to speed development. Obviously, that's going to be the goal of many that that, that incorporate the Olympic lifts in, in part of their their training program. Yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, recently, uh, Brad Deweese, myself, and a couple other of our uh, graduate students at uh, East Tennessee State put together a, a paper that discusses this, and uh, I'm sure I can provide you the link to, to this. But um, what we ended up putting together was a way to incorporate uh, weightlifting movements into developing top speed, especially for sprinters. So um, this is all going to go again with the phase potentiation model. So it's all going to start with your strength endurance phase or your general prep phase. So obviously one of the things that we're trying to do um, speed-wise during this phase is that it's going to be an acceleration uh, or going to be working on acceleration at the time. So one of the things that we have to focus on during that is producing the necessary postural muscles that we need, but also to develop the characteristics that we need that will enhance our, our uh, accelerative abilities and then top speed down the line. So typically during this phase, you're going to be doing some resisted runs. You know, you have your inclines, you have your towing um, when it comes to sleds. But in terms of weightlifting movements during the strength endurance phase, as we talked about earlier, is going to be your clean snatch pull from the floor, but also a clean, um, clean snatch pull to the knee. But the other, the other lifts or derivatives, if you will, will be a clean and snatch grip bent knee shrug. So what I mean by that is you're going to be in a mid-thigh position and it's going to be shrugging. What this is going to do is it's going to strengthen the musculature. You know, you have your low back, your glutes, your hamstrings, but it's going to enhance the postural musculature that's going to be needed in later training phases when it comes to speed. So that'll take us through acceleration, strength, endurance, but then moving on, we kind of have a transition period. So moving from acceleration, we are transitioning to upright running or um, max speed, basically. 
And what we're doing during this phase uh, when it comes to the weight room is we are focusing on the ability to produce really high forces, but also producing the initial stages of rate of force development. So during this point, this is where we start to implement, we're still going to implement the clean and snatch pull from the floor. But if you think about it from a, an angular standpoint, you think about the, the knees in the blocks. The knees in the blocks, your front leg is going to be at about 90 degree knee angle and your back foot at about 120. So as we're doing a clean snatch pull from the knee, we work through those angles in a strength endurance phase and we continue to do that once we get into a max strength phase. But now when we get into the max strength phase, we're becoming more upright. So if you think about the actual movement of coming out of the blocks, we transition going from a forward lean to an upright position, in which case we could use the clean snatch pull from the floor, clean snatch pull from the knee. But now that we're upright, we're actually looking at doing a mid-thigh pull from that upright position. So now we're at, you know, we have about 120, 140 degree upright. But what this is going to do is allow the athlete to produce really high forces, high rates of force development during a concentric phase, but also will allow them to um, produce the forces that they're going to need to absorb their landings when they come back down. So if you think about it, the elite sprinters are going to be producing four to five times Amount, amount body mass every single ground contact. So what we need is we need high force production. We need a high rate of force production. So essentially our athletes don't collapse when they come down on themselves. Mm -hmm. So moving into that, so we so this is typically going to be our lower repetitions, higher intensity. So we're going five repetitions. We're doing three repetitions. But the other thing that we need to start incorporating now is we as we move to max velocity is we need to promote kind of the strength speed aspect. So what this is, is moving a relatively high, heavier load quickly. So again, we're not totally at our competition type phase. We're still kind of in our special prep at this point. But as we continue to move toward the season, this needs to emphasize that triple extension at the time. But these heavily, heavily loaded pulls will allow us that force production and that high rate of force production with a heavier load. Um, as we continue to move through the season and we have our, we want, you know, we're tr leading toward a taper and toward a peak for that really important meet, now we need to start to emphasize the speed strength aspect of it. So thinking about other lifts that we can incorporate down the road. So let me backtrack here a little bit. I get ahead of myself when it comes to this stuff. <laughs> no, don't worry. Um, but when we get into these, these lower repetition phases, now this is where you can start to incorporate, like I said, the strength speed aspect. So we still want something that's going to have a moderate load to it, but we still want high rate of force development. So if you think about it, this is where you start to incorporate a mid-thigh clean or a mid-thigh snatch. So... If you think about it, we have a mid-thigh pull and clean pulls as kind of our retaining load, if you will, or our focus, our concentrated load. But now we're trying to in introduce a new stimulus to it where we have a heavy rate of force development. Now we need something lighter. So going back to the force velocity curve, we're training both aspects of that curve. So 
now we have a higher rate of force development with a movement that has a catch. So here are your catches for those that want to incorporate mm -hmm. catching, obviously. Um, but as now we move to your strength, speed, speed, strength aspect, now we can still maintain it, that heavier load with a you know mid-thigh pull, clean pull from the floor. You can incorporate those counter-movement shrugs. But the other thing that you start to incorporate is kind of the really light movements that are going to be highly ballistic for that high rate of force development, high power output. This is where we're talking about jump shrugs, uh, hang high pulls. You still have your counter movement cleans, counter movement snatches. But the beautiful thing towards the end of the, once we get to the taper phase and the kind of the competition speed phase is that we have, if we followed a sequence progression up to this point, we should have built up the other characteristics going down the line. If you, going back now, strength endurance, we have our work capacity cross-sectional area. We have our, our strength characteristics that we built up. We built up our strength speed, you know, the heavier rate of force development. Now we moved into speed strength where we have the retaining loads, but still the higher rate of force development with the lighter loads. So eventually what we're trying to do is peak those abilities at the right time using a sequence progression of derivatives. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to velocities themselves, obviously with, with gym wares and, and push bands becoming um, kind of commonplace, for each phase of the, of the training uh, cycle that you've, you've mentioned, what kind of speeds are we looking at for each kind of uh, strength endurance, speed strength, strength speed? Oh, sure. Um, when it comes to the velocities, the, the first thing I will tell people is that the there are differences between the center of mass velocity and the bar velocity, so people just need to be aware of that. But what I will do is um, there are a couple studies out there. The ones that have measured bar velocity, there was one by uh, Paul Comfort's group looking at the mid-thigh pull. So this is going to be your maximal strength, absolute strength, but also could all be all the way up into your uh, strength speed and speed strength blocks depending on where you're implementing it. But what they were looking at were loads between 40% 1RM power clean all the way up to 140% of their power clean. And Within that range, they looked at and or they saw velocities anywhere between one meter per second at the highest load and then all the way up to two meters per second at the lightest load of 40%. Um, there was another study by Hoff, I believe it was 2003, if I can get my numbers right. Um, it was, uh, they looked at the clean pull and the effect of various set configurations on it. Um, and depending on the set configuration, they looked at 90% 1RM and also 120%. So as I mentioned earlier, you can incorporate the clean pull as early as the strength endurance phase, but can also be commonplace, if you will, throughout the rest of your phases if you choose to use it. Um, but at 90% 1RM, what they saw were bar velocities of 1.6 to 1.7. And then at 120%, 1.3 to about 1.4. So uh, talking about other research that we've done, um, we're talking now about the center of mass velocity, is we are looking at um, the jump shrug, the hang high pull, and the hang power clean. So we saw center of mass velocities anywhere ranging from approximately 2.5 up to 3 meters per second 
you know, seeing that ballistic component when it comes to the jump shrug. Uh, slightly lower for the hang high pull. Uh, these were at the lightest loads examined, obviously. Um, but we saw those still right around two meters per second. And then the hang power clean um, at the highest point was at 1.7. I believe it ranged all the way down to about 1.3 or 1.4. Cool. Um, so just again, uh, one more thing that I've thought of is is single leg derivatives. Uh, that is a that is a touchy subject. Yes. Oh shit. Sorry, Tim. Is it? <laughs> no, Can, a touchy subject in yeah. the sense that I am not a big fan okay. of doing single leg weightlifting derivatives. Okay. Um, why is that? The reason why is that the stability standpoint is already shaky to begin with. Um, because you know, if depending on where you pull, if you're going to pull forward, if you're going to pull backward, um, you know, obviously if you pull the bar forward, you're going to have to chase it. And if you're doing a single leg derivative where your back leg is behind you, for example, um, you're going to have to chase it and chasing single leg is going to be a lot more difficult than chasing two legs. Um, but the other thing when it comes to it is it's really only going to be specific to a couple of people. So if you think about from a, let's just take a long jumper, for example, uh, you have your sprints down the runway and then you have your penultimate step. It makes sense that you would have single leg strength at that point, but I don't know that a single leg derivative would really be all that beneficial um, compared to a double or a multi-limb derivative. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think you can get the same overload, which is what you're going to be looking for. Um, and frankly, uh, from those who I've seen attempt to do it, it's kind of dangerous, especially the people around him. You never know where it's going to go. <laughs> so, so what the people that you've you've spoke to, and obviously you've you've discussed this with people. Um, what is their rationale for for doing these single leg derivatives? Your guess is as good okay. as mine. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, to be completely honest, I don't know that I've really heard a good answer besides okay. them saying that it's – they claim it's going to be more spe uh, sports-specific. But let me address the sports-specific thing, and I've addressed this with a number of um, coaches in different sports. So if we're talking about sports specificity, the most common movement in sports is going to be triple extension of the hips, knees, and ankles. And I don't think that would, many people would really disagree. But that being said, we need to train triple extension with the best method that we can, which is why we use derivatives, weightlifting movements regularly in a variety of sports and not just with weightlifting, you know. But uh, addressing this, the triple extension with a single limb, that's, it gets a bit fishy there. Not to say that it wouldn't be beneficial in terms of a – you know, single leg split squats, yeah. but once you add the component of trying to catch it or trying to do a jump shrug with a single leg, it, it gets a bit hairy there. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, I think that's a quite a nice way to uh, to round it up. But where can where can people uh, catch your firstly your research, secondly um, the, the kind of the views your viewpoints? I'm guessing Twitter the best place. Um, yeah. Yeah. What's, I'd, what's I'd the best place say, for you? I'd probably say Twitter's the best place, so it's at Dr. T. Sukumel. Uh And then I actually have a link within the within my Twitter homepage, if you will, to uh, the ResearchGate page that I have, but that's where most of my research ends up. Um, 
and you know if there's something you can't find feel free to contact me uh i'm sure we can post a link to an email or something like that but uh um yeah twitter is probably the best place to get a hold of me okay cool so we spoke beforehand about um a couple of conferences that you're going to this year are you gonna be out and about yeah i'll be i'll be out and about <laughs> be sweating down in uh, new orleans this summer um so we'll be down at uh new orleans uh in july i believe it's the 6th through the 9th uh, for the NSCA National Conference. And um, that's really the main one that I have set up right now. But uh, we'll be doing presenting more research down there. We actually have a uh, few papers down there looking at load absorption characteristics between weightlifting derivatives. We have some time normalization down there with um, power time curves, some force time curve. So really interesting stuff. And I'm hoping to have some good conversation with people. Mm -hmm. So is there anything interesting, uh, obviously, apart from what you're doing that, that anyone else is doing when it comes to, um, when it comes to the research and, and your area? Uh, there's always some interesting questions because yeah. there's always, uh, there's a lot that we don't know. Um, you know, I always talk about, well, well there's research on, you know, clusters, but there's not a lot of research on derivatives when it comes to clusters. We, most of the stuff that we know when it comes to derivatives has to do with the clean and the, the clean, but uh, there's not as much when it comes to snatch derivatives. So those interested when it comes to, uh, when it comes to um, doing research on weightlifting movements, maybe you want to look into doing some snatch derivatives uh, to see, you know, different velocities, different power outputs, force po force outputs. Um, but other things that are kind of in the works is um, it's all well and good to have a cross-sectional study to show you one thing, but one of the things that myself, Paul Comfort, are working on right now, we're working on organizing some training studies right now. Mm -hmm. So uh, as we talked about when it comes to catching versus not catching, that's kind of what's uh, in the works right now and should be starting up here when it comes to the fall. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Well, thank you very much again for your time, Tim, and um, we'll keep in touch. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on. Appreciate it, mate. Thanks very much. See you later. Thanks for tuning in to episode 91 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the chat with Tim. So like I said at the start, hopefully this will cause a little bit of discussion. So if you do have anything to... To post towards Tim um, in reflection on this on this podcast, just post it below the the tweet that I put out to advertise and uh, let people know this podcast gone live. So last but not least, a massive thanks to both Val Performance and Coach Me Plus for sponsoring this episode today. And as I say all the time, any feedback that you guys have on the podcast itself, um, just fire it over to me on Twitter or I'll drop me an email or whatever it may be. Um, so I hope you enjoy the chat with Tim and I'll speak to you in episode 92.